Now let's turn in our Bibles to <coughs> Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 was read in part last week by um, Pastor Gerold. If I pronounced it right, probably haven't. Getting there, was told this week just to remember gear and road and join the two together and you'll not be far away. Um, we, we did appreciate his ministry here at last um, Lord's Day evening. Well, let's reread uh, Romans chapter 5, and we're, we're going to read together um, the first 11 verses. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope with the glory of God. And not only so, but with glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and my subject this evening is considering the Reformation principle of sola Christus. Now this is the fourth <coughs> sola that was rediscovered and preached by the reformers of the 15th and 16th century. Sola Christus are Latin words, children. And translated into English, the words mean Christ alone. Sola means only or alone. Christus is the uh, Latin word for Christ. So if you put them together, it means Christ alone. Perhaps I could re-emphasize that the great Protestant Reformation rediscovered the biblical truth that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the battleground of the great Reformation centered around that one word, alone. In fact, 
the whole Protestant religion is founded upon and based on these five solas as foundational truths. These are the core foundational truths of any true Protestant church. And any church, any denomination within the broad ranks of Protestantism that doesn't announce these five solas, doesn't embrace them as the truth revealed by God, or doesn't defend these Reformation principles, I believe ceases to be a truly Protestant Christian church. Of course, the Bible alone is not the only the final authority of the Christian church. We have to proclaim that it's the only rule for the church's faith and practice. Now, understand that. We believe in Scripture, scripture alone. We believe in grace alone. We believe in faith alone, and we believe that salvation is in Christ alone. The Bible, of course, is Christocentric. That means it's got Christ at its center, Christ at its circumference. Uh, During his sojourn on earth, the Lord Jesus made a very exclusive claim. Listen to these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. What is that verse all about? That verse is all about the exclusivity of the saving power of Christ. There's no other way to God but by Jesus Christ. There's no other truth from God but that which centers in the personal work of Christ. That There's no other way to experience the life of God except by the life of Christ. We could turn up many references tonight. Think of 1 Timothy 2 and 5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Think of Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there's their salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Uh, Think of Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 45, and it says there, um, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is None else. There's no saviour but by me. And of course, there's many other references that bring home the exclusivity of Christ's saving power. Listen to these words from Titus. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed in us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. You see, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, there is this um, thought and truth being taught of the principle of sola Christus. Many believe that the Old Testament has no relevance to salvation, no relevance to Christian living, and no relevance to Christ. But nothing could be further from the truth. Do we not read in the road to Emmaus, the two disciples, the Saviour came alongside them when they were sad and said, and beginning at Moses, first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, and all the Psalms, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself the scriptures testify of christ now to link it up this evening with romans chapter 5 and verse 1 look at the words through 
our Lord Jesus Christ. If you come to um, verse 11, it says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And if you even think of what I've quoted in Titus, which is shed in us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Here's just three references picked out of the Bible of a multiplicity of references, specimen references that teach this principle that it is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that ties into this Reformation principle of sola Christus or Christ alone. I want you to think of a couple of things tonight. I want you to think of the the message that's proclaimed through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at our text, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith. The word therefore means in view of this. It links back to verse 25, speaking of Christ, who was raised for our offences and raised again for our, or on behalf of, our justification. Being justified. Now we'll pause there. I want you to notice the word justified is in the past tense. It's not in the present tense. It's not in the future tense. Literally it reads, therefore, having been justified. That's what the word being or to be means. We could ask the question, what does the word justify mean? And I can give you a little hint. You young people are familiar with computers. uh, And uh, you know, if you go to the toolbar, uh, you have a device there that will let you justify the page, perhaps that you're typing out. Uh, And it means you're going to line all the sentences up. And you're going to make it even. You're you're going to make it all the right size. You see, it has to do with rightness. Now, the biblical sense of the word has nothing to do with being made right. The term itself has to do with the law courts. And if you think of a courtroom scene, here's the judge. He's... um, Sitting there uh, in the chair, you've got the man who's guilty and he's in the dock. And the judge doesn't make him guilty, does he? What the judge does is declares him guilty or declares him innocent. And if the man is guilty by his own conduct, by his own sinful choices, what the judge does by way of pronouncement is merely declares that that man is guilty. And if you think of this biblical word justified, it's nothing to do with being made right or made righteous. It has to do with a declaration. And remember, this is the courtroom of heaven. This is at the bar of God where the sinner is guilty. And God's the one that does the declaring or makes the pronouncement. Remember our catechism? What is justification? Justification is an act. Of God's free grace. Now notice the word act. Not a process. The church of Rome to this day. In the 15th century. The 21st century. Believes that justification is a process. Justification it is an act of God's free grace. Whereby one. He pardoneth all our sins. Two. And accepted us as righteous in his sight. 
only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Justification means pronouncing a person righteous. It's the opposite of condemnation. It is said to be an act because it's done at once. It is not a process. It is said to be an act of God's free grace because we can do nothing of ourselves to deserve this. It consists of two parts, whereby he pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight. And what's the cause? Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And of course that ties into um, what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Think of these words, much more than being now justified by his blood. And even our text, therefore being justified by faith. I want you to understand tonight, it's a legal term. It's a legal pronouncement by God. It's done in the courtroom of heaven. All men are declared guilty before God. Jew, Gentile, religious, non-religious, immoral, immoral, rich and poor, educated, non-educated. Here's a look at the sinner in the courtroom of heaven, at the bar of heavenly justice. He's in the dock. God says guilty. Guilty in Adam. But then we look at the Saviour. Saviour, remember, was born for us. He lived for us. He kept the law of God perfectly. Uh, he um, bore the penalty of the broken law to the cross. He, he died for sinners. We, we have read here in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died died for us and, and that's a wonderful truth and every sinner who trusts in Christ that moment that he trusts in Christ Christ's righteous life that he, he earned by keeping the precepts of the law and paying its penalty is imputed to the believing sinner and the believing sinner is accepted by God on that basis as the Bible talks about in Ephesians accepted in the beloved and as uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 4 and 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And I want you to think tonight of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, remember, was training to be a lawyer. Go back to the year 1505-06. A close friend of Luther was killed in an accident. It shocked Martin Luther to the core as he thought about the, the, the brevity of life and the reality of God's eternity. He then later on, that year, was caught up in a violent thunderstorm. Martin Luther remembers a Roman Catholic. He believes in praying to the saints and he prayed to St. Anna to keep him safe. He had a concern for his soul. He promised St. Anna that if she kept him safe in the storm that he would enter the Augustine Monastery. And, and that's what he did. And he trained in that monastery for the, for the, the, the priesthood. And Luther, of course, um, not only became the, the local priest in Wittenberg, he became the professor at Wittenberg University. And I want to say tonight that Martin Luther is a Roman Catholic. 
If we had asked him, Martin Luther, do you believe in the necessity of Christ's death for salvation? Do you know what he would have said? Absolutely. I do. Why do you not? But at that time, and I want to make this clear, Martin Luther didn't believe in the sufficiency of Christ's death. He didn't believe that God had provided salvation in Christ alone. He believed, of course, in salvation. He he believed in having peace with God. But how was that received? Martin Luther believed at this time, and not only did he need Christ, but he needed the church. He needed the religion and the ceremonies of the church. He he needed uh, personal cooperation and good works. Remember the little sum of mass that I gave you some time ago. Christ plus nothing equals everything. And Christ plus something or anything else equals nothing. And Luther hadn't discovered that in 1505 and 1506. He believed at that time, as the Church of Rome teaches to this day, that justification is a process. It's something that evolves, something that you grow into. The child is baptised, eight days old, through waters of baptism. The child is born of the Spirit, really the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. The grace of God then comes and deals with original sin as the uh, water is applied, the, the blood and the spirit meet, and the, the child grows up and enters into its first confession, goes through the uh, process, working its way towards the reception of Holy Communion, and after Holy Communion or the first Holy Communion, that child grows up as a teenager into an adult, and they cooperate, they uh, do good works, they attend the Mass, they, they perform the rosary, they do all the good that they hand and they do that to become more holy and more righteous and progress to a a righteous standard that is acceptable to God and that's where Martin Luther was in around the year 1507, 1508, 1509 and 1510. He didn't know at that time that justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth all his righteousness of Christ make himself holy. He strove to be the holiest monk in the Augustinian monastery. He wanted to be the holiest monk possible. He was told by his supervisors, Luther, you're trying to kill yourself because he would have lay on the floor all night and said prayers in a cold, damp floor with a blanket over him. His bishop would have told him, or his confessor, come back, Martin, when you have some real sins to confess. He had a troubled heart. He learned Greek, he learned Hebrew, he read his Bible, he he started studying Romans. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that the sinner needed to be absolutely perfect to be accepted by God. He knew that he himself couldn't obtain this personal righteousness by himself. And then he discovered, not only does God demand the personal righteousness for the sinner to be accepted by him in heaven, But God has provided a personal righteousness in the person of Christ. And once Luther saw that, 
then he was discovering the true doctrine of justification by faith alone. A a, a righteousness accepted by God through faith. He he went on to say, this is the article by which a, a, a church ought to be judged. This is the mark of a a falling or or a standing church. The message presented, being justified by faith. Notice not only the uh, message presented, but the means presented. Notice the words, by faith. And of course, It's not by our works, it's not by the church, it's not by any cooperation on our part. Uh, Salvation is not in the Protestant church, it's not in the Roman Catholic church, despite our claims. Rome's claims to be the uh, one true uh, church is false and misleading, because justification is by faith alone. And faith, of course, is simply translated, forsaking all I take or trust him. That there's a trusting in Christ, there's an adherence to Christ, there's a reliance in Christ. That's the means presented. Notice also the uh, merit that's presented. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Think of that. Let me ask the question. It was asked last Sunday evening, have you peace with God? Well, what is peace with God? It's not just something that's tranquil. It's not just a feeling. It's a truth. And it has to do with peace in a war situation. How are we described in Romans 5? We're described as without strength. We we can't save ourselves. We have no power or ability. We're described as ungodly. We explained that this morning. Without God, an anti-God mindset. We're described here as sinners, and a sinner is someone who's in rebellion to God, who's disobedient to God's law. And also, if you look at verse 10, we're described as enemies. God is so holy, God is so righteous, that that he does not and cannot and will not merely forgive sin. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be put away. Outside of Christ, we're children of wrath. But now in Christ, we who are without strength, We who are ungodly, we who are sinners, we who are enemies. We're no longer ungodly and sinners and no longer enemies. Why? Because we've been brought into Christ. How? By by faith in him. By by receiving him as Lord and Saviour. And therefore we're not striving to obtain or earn peace anymore. We've got peace with God. We're not striving to earn the forgiveness of sins. We've got the forgiveness of sins in Christ. We're not striving to be righteous or be accepted by God. We're already accepted and and legally declared righteous in Christ. And I want you to notice, not only have we got acceptance, but we've got access by faith. Look at verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Having access by faith into this grace where we stand. Think, think of access to God's throne. Being introduced to God. 
coming by faith into God's throne room and talking to him like a friend doth to a friend. We remember when our, our brother Jonathan Logan was here at our praise service, he sang that lovely piece, I must tell Jesus. I haven't forgotten that. I, I've encouraged myself with those words. I must tell Jesus and every day and all the difficulties, the problems and pressures of life, what have I got to do? I have access to the throne. I can go and tell the Lord Jesus. Doesn't the Bible say, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus? Doesn't the Bible invite us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this is all under this umbrella, the message that's being presented, the means that's presented by faith and the merit that's being presented is peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we're accepted by him. And because we have peace with God, we have access to him. And glory to God, because we have peace with God, we've got assurance. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're saved from wrath. Think of the word saved from wrath. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And the word saved has got three tenses. It means I am saved. I have been legally declared righteous. I, I have got justified or been justified. I am being saved. That's the process of sanctification. Don't confuse the two. And I will be saved. That's brought into a state of glorification where we're delivered from the very presence of sin forever. Now, think of the message that's being presented here and the means presented and the merit that's presented. And think of the mediator that's presented. Look at the last four words, or five words, through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the doctrine of Christ alone. Verse 11, through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the doctrine of Christ alone. I've already read to you from the book of Titus. And it's the same message. Through Jesus Christ our Saviour. That's the message of the doctrine of Christ alone. And we could tie into that message. Acts 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. We could tie into that message. John 14 and 6. Jesus saith I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And as I've said previously, these are but specimen references. There, there, there's many uh, of them. And if we ask Martin Luther, who was teaching as a priest and a professor in Wittenberg University, before he got converted, this question, Martin, how can a sinner be right with God? And he may have talked about believing in the necessity of Christ's death. But he would have also mentioned that you need the church. You need to come to the mass. You need to offer prayer. 
Uh, you, you need to uh, recite the rosary. You need to do this and that and, uh, and uh, uh, do, do good works and, uh, and, and go through the confessional. Why? Because at that time he didn't believe in the sufficiency of Christ's death. Do you need Christ? Ask our own Catholic priest today to be saved and he'll say yes. But ask him, do you need Christ only to be saved? And do you know what he'll answer? He'll answer no. Let, let me just read to you a couple of things from the Council of Trent. If anyone says that the ungodly is justified by faith alone in such a way that he understands that nothing else is required which cooperates toward obtaining the grace of justification, let him be condemned. I, I want you to think of canon number 12. If anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than trust in divine mercy, which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that it is this trust alone by which we are justified, let him be condemned. And, and just furthermore, canon 14 if anyone says that a man is absolved and justified because he confidently believes that he is absolved and justified and that through this faith alone absolution and justification is effected, let him be condemned. You see, these canons clearly indicate that something more than trust in Christ alone is necessary for salvation. And Cardinal Cassidy, uh, who is the uh, head of the Council for uh, Unity uh, for the Roman Catholic Church, he stated without qualification in 2000 that Trent is still a normative ecumenical council for the Church. And yet what saith the Scriptures, as we finish this evening, think of this verse, 1 Timothy 2 and 5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The word mediator means a go-between. Think of a holy God and sinful man. And how many mediators are there? Well, the Bible says, for there's one God and one mediator. And who is that mediator? The mediator is Jesus Christ. And we have to say tonight and say in all honesty and say sincerely that the Pope is not the mediator. I want to say tonight there's no such thing as apostolic authority. I want to say tonight that the priest of Rome, despite his claim, doesn't have power to forgive sins or pronounce absolution for any individual. The priest of Rome, who, despite his claim, doesn't have the power to change the bread into the body of Christ. You see, it's a question of authority. And we believe tonight in the sufficiency of the scriptures, not only as the final authority of the church, but as the only authority. And the Bible teaches what we are to believe. And the Bible doesn't get its authority from the church. That's what the Church of Rome claims. The Church of Rome tells us that you can't understand the Bible. You need the church. You need the priest. You need the, 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 the church councils. You need the church cardinals. Now, I want you to think of this and... Martin Luther, 19, or sorry, 1521, that the Diet of Worms, he was already excommunicated. He'd been charged with heresy. He was asked about the books and the table, and he was asked to recant and refute them. And this is what he said, and I quote, Unless I am refuted and convinced by testimony of Scripture, 
or by clear argument, since I believe neither Pope or councils alone, it being evident that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am convinced by the Holy Scriptures quoted by me, and my conscience is captive to the word of God, I cannot and will recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor seeing. So help me God, here I stand, I can do none other. Amen. I know of a student in our Bible college. He was convicted of a sin. He'd been attending a gospel mission. Uh, he had went to his own minister. He told the minister that he felt guilty because of sin. He told the minister where he had been and what he had heard. You know what the minister said? He said, well, well you're a good person. And you don't need to be saved. You've been baptized. You've been catechized. If you want to feel better, just come to the next communion. And you see, that, that ties into to where we're at today. That ties into to, to why the church is in the state that it's in. And we have lost sight that Christ is the only true prophet to teach and tell us the way of salvation. Christ is the only true priest, uh, the, the one who forgives sins and the one who, who provided uh, uh, himself a sacrifice for that sin. Christ is the only true king. We live in a day when... There's been erosion of a Christ-centered faith. There's been an erosion of a Christ-centered gospel message. We hear film stars out of Hollywood saying things like Jane Fonda has said in the past. I believe when asked, does she believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And she replied to the interviewer, that's maybe for you, but not for me. And the interviewer responded, but either he is or he isn't. And she wouldn't reply. You see, there's a form of religious pluralism abroad today. Years ago, Marilyn Monroe was asked, do you believe in God? And her response was, I believe in everything just a little bit. And, and how many want to be nice toward God and nice to the church and spiritual things? They want to look after the animals and the planets. They, they want to believe in their own basic goodness. They, they live for themselves. They live for their own sexual gratification. They're, they're loyal to friends. They're loyal to family. Uh, uh, but, but they've got their own opinions about God, sin, their soul, the Bible. But it's not the Bible's view. Now let me finish with this. Suppose I say when it comes to numerics, I've got my opinion. Two and two makes five. You would laugh at me and rightly so. Suppose I had my opinion when it comes to spelling and I adopted creative spelling to spell certain words. The English teacher would tell me I was wrong. Suppose when it comes to history, I would say, oh, well, in the map, the, the United Kingdom, well, I don't believe it's there. My opinion is it's way over here beside China or down below Australia. Or when it comes to the economy, I, 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 my opinion is this or my opinion is that. You see, there's a big difference between one's opinion and biblical truth. And Jesus stood amongst us and said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. And we realize that that is not popular. We realize that it's an exclusive claim. But we would call upon our people in these days to, to take a stand for, for truth and righteousness. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord Jesus came into the world to deal with man's basic problem? The problem of his own sinfulness. The problem of moral failure, disobedience to God, rebellion. He, he has saved us from our sin. 
by the offering himself as a once and for all sacrifice for Christ. And everyone who trusts him, they can find acceptance with God. Everyone who trusts him, they can have access to God. Everyone who trusts him, they can have the assurance that they're children of God and bound for heaven and home. Everyone who trusts him can have the, the joy of knowing they're adopted into God's family for time and eternity. Have you that joy tonight? Have you that peace? Have you that knowledge that Christ is your Lord and your Savior? May the Lord take these few thoughts this evening and bless them to us and give us help and understanding into this great truth of sola Christus.